2: Part of
0: the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Cannata, joined by co-hosts, Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello everybody and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Cannata, joined by Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. And we are back and we have some news regarding the Miami Dolphins coaching staff. Some new additions there the Dolphins announced. And also some other factoids that we are going to talk about, such as Kyler Murray committing to the NFL draft, the upcoming combine and other news surrounding the offseason thus far. But first, we do need some insights on the latest Dolphins additions to the coaching staff. And of course, Brian Flores, the man himself. And here joining us to give us more insight is Brian Phillips, the editor of Pat's Pulpit, part of the SB Nation Network. Brian's basically a jack of all trades over their social media video. Everything you can think of Brian does So, Brian, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. We appreciate you taking time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, boys. All right. So, Brian, let's get right to it. The Miami Patriots down south hiring Brian Flores to be their head coach, bringing on guys (laughs) such as Chad O'Shea, bringing on Chaplinsky to coach the quarterbacks, bringing on other men as well, and possibly now and down the road. But let's talk about Brian Flores to begin. Obviously, a guy who rose through the ranks in the New England Patriots organization, Started off as a scout, moved his way up on both offense and defense, as well as special teams, and just kept on moving up the ladder until finally was a defensive play caller this past season. Not officially the defensive coordinator, but a guy well-respected around the league. What can you tell us about Brian Flores? We've done our research on him, but obviously we don't know the innate details of how he has impacted the Patriots organization. Do you think that he is going to be another failure like Matt Patricia? Well, Jury's still out of Matt Patricia, but the other guys like Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, the, the list goes on with Josh McDaniels again. What is Brian Flores going to bring to the Dolphins? Who is Brian Flores and what can Dolphins fans expect?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, Brian Flores, I think, is an absolute superstar. And I I, I the, the jury was out when it came to Patriots fans on whether or not he was going to be getting more interviews again. Uh, this off season and uh, and after he did get a couple interviews last uh, last off season, I believe uh, I know for sure with Arizona, um, you know the the Patriots fans weren't quite ready to see him go, especially after just one year of being in the signal caller. You know, not the uh, official DC, but the de facto DC. And uh, I, I just I, I had a feeling it, it was a no brainer once once this defense started gelling, you could see them really uh, rallying around his play calling and his. His his innate ability to call the right blitz at the right time this year, uh, you could just tell um with with how fast he rose through the ranks and how uh how he really took that that new uh, title and that new role and ran with it, uh, it was a done deal. He was as good as gone, and uh, I think I think the Dolphins just absolutely got a, a superstar. Um, the thing I love about him, uh, and that uh, you guys and I'm sure uh will love about him is that he started really in the scouting ranks. You know, uh, working as a scouting assistant and, and learning that side of the business, that side of the game, uh, from the professional, you know, from the from the Patriots' standpoint, you know, viewpoints, and then merged into the coaching staff from there. So to have uh, to have that scouting, you know, role and will really help with the pro personnel department. Um, and it really just eases the communication and greases the wheels. So when you have a guy that's used to, uh, you know, kind of both sides of you know both sides of the coin, the coaching and the
0: scouting aspect. Many Dolphins fans, Brian, wanted Chris Richard from the Dallas Cowboys because of the passion he brought in all aspects of the game everywhere, practice, meeting rooms, on the field during the game. And a lot of Dolphins fans, including myself, got caught up in that hype of having a guy like that, showing that kind of emotion, a leader of men, so to speak. Brian Flores is the exact opposite, doesn't show much emotion during the game, very even-keeled, very calm, in the moment, understanding the big picture. What can you tell us about Flores? And you mentioned his innate ability to call the blitz at the perfect time. And when we've known that based on our research that Belichick truly trusts him to call the game. But should Dolphins fans be mistaken with Flores' calm demeanor? Or should they realize that that is actually probably the best thing to have in a head coach?
3: Yeah, well, you look at you look at um if you look the Mike the mic'd up uh, series in the or the episode that came out of the Super Bowl and you see the Patriots sideline in the fourth quarter and Bill Belichick going up and down the sideline, nobody's panicking, nobody's freaking out. This game is is not going as as anybody thought it would. Uh, obviously, they were happy about their production on the defensive side of the ball, but he kept going over to his coaching staff and saying Guys, just remember your checks. Remember, let's just make sure we get it right. Here's the situation. Let's just make sure we get it right. Everybody was calm and collected. There wasn't anybody, uh, you know, it wasn't a strenuous thing. They prepare for pressure pack situations. Um, Of course, there are plenty of them to, uh, you know, if you're with the Patriots organization for as long as Brian Flores was, um, you know, you're going to, you know, pressure pack situations are not a new thing. Um, But you look up and down that sideline and everybody was calm and cool and collected. And that's what you need. You need to have uh, because mistakes are made under, under pressure and under stress. And, uh, but yeah, you look at the rest of the coaching staff that was assembled. Like Jim Caldwell is that same way. Uh, You know, he's not going to be a rah-rah guy. Uh, Pat Graham, um, you know, who you know spent so much time with the Patriots organization. He's going to be that same way. Josh Boyer and Chad O'Shea, all these guys are from that staff, um, you know, with Jerry Shepensky. Uh, all these guys, they're all going to bring that, uh, that cool, calm demeanor. And yeah, it might not get you pumped up, but, uh, you know, at least, you know, you're getting things right and not making mistakes due to pressure.
2: Brian, thanks for taking time out of your day. This is how uh, my question, I'm going to focus on Chad O'Shea and you mentioned the coaching staff, you know, one of the breaths of fresh air, bringing in a guy like Brian Flores as a coaching staff, he assembled, because as we know, that was kind of Adam Gase's, uh downfall so for me uh how do you see the Dolphins offense changing we know it's gonna be that Earhart Perkins type offense we saw a little bit in 2018 but what is Chad O'Shea gonna do to fix this Dolphins offense that was pretty much anemic under Adam Gase
3: yeah I'm I'm so excited for Chad O'Shea this guy is like the quintessential grinder who like he's been waiting for his shot patiently and you know always always produce results with with uh you know he was never given the most resources in new england right with the way that they deal with the wide receiver position from a salary cap standpoint uh he's they, they drafted a couple of poor receivers um high with like aaron dobson and in in, in company but you, you know this is the kind of guy who you know he developed julian edelman from a seventh round pick a quarterback out of kent state um you know he got production out of you know Danny Amendola, who was their biggest free agent signing. You know, there's a, a million stories about guys who came in and immediately had an impact right away. And uh, I think Chad Osh is definitely ready to take that next step. As far as what we'll see from an offensive standpoint, um, they're going to have a complex playbook. They're going to they're going to be asking specifically their skill position guys. They're going to be asked to do a lot of different things in the in the passing game and the running game. Uh, and they're going to be asked to play and know every role on the field. Uh, there's there's going to be no excuse for, for uh, guys not to be able to play every position at wide receiver. They might not always play those positions, but they need to know the roles uh, more so than any other system. It's, it's it's commonly talked about when when Patriots bring free agent wide receivers in how they. It's a tough playbook for them to pick up and learn. Um, and I imagine a lot of that will transfer to Chad O'Shea. But uh, you know, really, the Patriots system is. Being flexible and being able to go into each week with a new game plan and keeping it fresh and uh, and attacking a defense's weakness—it doesn't matter if it's you know via pass or heavy run or uh, or a mix of both.
2: Another coach that the Dolphins are getting from the Patriots is Josh Boyer, and he's a guy that you know is a defensive backs coach. You know the way the NFL game is. Kind of progressing. So how do you feel that is a blow to the Patriots coaching staff? And what do you think he can bring to that Dolphins secondary who, I mean, they got some young pieces. They got an Xavier Howard, if they choose to bring him back, Bobby McCain, Mickey Fitzpatrick, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald. What do you think that Josh Boyer can bring to that secondary to push them to the next level?
3: I think what's cool is, is is bringing Brian Flores as attacking man coverage. Like that's how you win in today's NFL. Now we saw that obviously this year with the Patriots defense. Uh, Josh Boyer is gonna you know he's he's gonna help instill the the entire you know top down system from from Brian Flores into these DBs. And like you guys said, you I mean you got a ton of talent there. There's no reason to be playing you know soft zone or. Uh, you know, utilize these guys' talents, uh, and, uh, and and Josh Boyer has been uh, just like Chad O'Shea is another guy who's been uh, able to get the most out of guys. Um, this system, this whole system, kind of allows these these DBs uh, to shine a little bit. It puts them on an island a little bit too. Um, you know, but you put trust in guys like undrafted free agents like J.C. Jackson and Malcolm Butler. Uh, and guys that you know were scrap heap guys coming out of college, but uh, that, that they were able to draw a ton of production out of, and then you you sprinkle in obviously talented players like Stephon Gilmore and Devin McCourty and whatnot. Uh, and you know there's plenty of there's definitely plenty of talent in that that Miami Dolphins secondary uh, for Josh Boyer to play around with. That's for sure, especially with a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick.
4: We're joined this evening by Brian Phillips of the Pats Pulpit. This is Sutton here. Thanks for spending some time with us tonight, I'm going to kind of represent the skeptical Dolphins fan base with my two questions. Okay. The first one is, well, gosh, Bill Belichick never lets good assistant coaches go. Do you buy into that premise or do you see the Dolphins acquiring a, a mild coup here?
3: This, I mean, this is the biggest, uh, this is, this is the most impactful departure, uh, I've seen, um, you know, and and the fact that the fact of the matter is everybody leaves uh, the, the Patriots organization. And, and, you know, Josh McDaniels is only back because he failed uh, at his previous stop. And, you know, he came back and he's sticking around for a while because the crafts are making it financially uh, feasible for him to do so. Um, you know, everybody leaves for, and they always have. Uh, the, fact, the fact that other coaches can't uh, from the Patriots organization can't have and haven't had the success outside of uh, New England has been perplexing. But. I think it just speaks to how tough it is to win in the NFL uh, as an as a as a new head coach. Um really I really yeah, can I interrupt
4: you right there. I, sure. think I think there's the illusion that Belichick just prohibits all of his assistant coaches from interviewing with other clubs. When I researched that, I didn't really see them blocking assistant coaches from taking promotions. I saw you know the blocking of. The, interviewing nick casario for the front office position but i didn't really see much of belichick denying his assistance to interview elsewhere yeah. if he wanted to would that be accurate
3: yeah that's 100 percent true i mean the, the they're all about you know they understand that these guys want to you know reach the pinnacle of the profession that's the whole point there's no point they they've Bill very much subscribes to the uh that, you know, I want you to be the coach across the other side, you know, across the sidelines for me one day, you know, if you don't have the drive to become that coach and to become, the, you know, to get to the pinnacle of the profession, then what are you even doing here? You know, we've seen it from, you know, I mean, you just look at the lineage of guys that have been under him from, you know, Nick Saban, Kirk Ferentz in the college ranks, obviously. Um, and uh, the fact that it hasn't translated to the to the NFL doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know it's only a matter of time, and, and there isn't much of a rising star who's who's been who, whose future looks brighter than a guy like Brian Flores. But yeah, and in in the NFL, it's very uncommon. You don't hear a lot of organizations blocking when if it's if it's just a lateral move, you know, like a DC going to be a DC somewhere else. Um, but if it's a, a, a you know an upward move, you know, an assistant going to you know for a coordinator interview. Um, from a position coach to a coordinator interview, uh, it's very uh, it's very uncommon for those to be blocked uh, with any organization. But uh, yeah, the, the the Patriots want their guys to grow and succeed.
4: That's that's what I thought. That that makes more sense to me than Belichick kind of holding an iron fist on everybody beneath him, and that, right. that, just, didn't, that just didn't seem to to kind of translate with what was really going on. I'm going to ask another question from kind of a skeptical Dolphins point of view. Yeah. So we're looking at Brian Flores' defense and we're piggybacking on what many have called a a defensive mastermind in the Super Bowl. I came across some research in January. I want to see if this makes any sense to you. New England Patriots defense, number two DVOA at Foxborough the new England Patriots defense 31st DVOA on the road. When you're looking earlier in the season, they give up 31 to Jacksonville, 26 to Detroit, 31 to Chicago, 34 to Tennessee. Should dolphins fans be at all concerned with our ability to play defense away from our home stadium?
3: I think they should definitely be worried about being able to play defense early in the season. Um, the Patriots, it's it's just, it's you know the bread and butter, you know Super Bowl season run for them is always struggle in September, start trying to find it somewhere around October, uh, and then start cruising and getting up, you know, and 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 peaking in November, December, January. Um, it's when you see most of those bad losses. But then you look at uh, when they got out of the bye um, after that really bad week in Tennessee, where and a lot of it this year also was the offense just not being able to get going early. Uh, Then all of a sudden they're in a hole uh, and Tom was, it it was trying to throw them out of it. They were trying to work Josh Gordon into the system early uh, and get him, get his feet wet. Um, It was, you know, it was a struggle. Julian Edelman obviously suspended for four weeks, the whole, that whole thing kind of played into that. Um, And, you know, really they were pretty conservative on defense. Those first couple of uh, those first six weeks or so, but we saw when they came out of the bye, they go into New York, they dominated uh, a bad jets team. Uh, like they should have. And then they dominated at home against Minnesota. And then they went, you know, obviously we had the unspeakable uh, issue in Miami uh, in week 14 or I believe week 15. And then uh, Pittsburgh in week, fi- uh, I believe week 15, they went in and let up only 17 on the road against that high flying offense. We saw them really start to gel right after the buy. Uh, I think that's what you'll see. You'll see them trying to fit guys into, into the system, learning, um, kind of getting, Uh, getting the calls under their belt, you know, um, for those first few weeks. And it's, it's, uh, it's always a little touch and go, but by the end of the year, Brian Flores should have them kind
0: of click on all cylinders. We're here with Brian Phillips from Pat's pulpit. Brian, before we let you go, you brought it up just now. We were going to bring it up. We weren't going to let you go without mentioning it, but yes, the Miami miracle. I know it's kind of, I know it's kind of weird for us to be kind of rubbing that in because you guys just won the Super Bowl. but, Our game against the Patriots in Miami every year seems to be our Super Bowl. It's always, let's try to spoil the Patriots' playoff hopes with taking away home field advantage, taking away a first-round bye, whatever it may be. Hopefully, one day soon when Tom Brady retires at Dolphins' (laughs) can try to jump back in the lead there. But just run through your thoughts as you were watching the Miami Miracle. And be honest, after that loss, we didn't expect the Patriots to lose their last two. But did you think, knowing that they probably lost home field advantage, their chances of reaching the Super Bowl just became a little less? So, oh,
3: man, ugh, I get like a chill down my spine thinking about it. So I'm at, I live in Columbus currently, and uh, it was like one of only two games that I couldn't see on television, like on TV, at home uh, all year. So I had to go to the bar down the street. I'm watching the game, and I have the live uh, Pat's Pulpit Facebook live show after uh, the game goes final, about 10 minutes after the game goes final. So the, the game's wrapping up. The Patriots tack on the field goal. I was a little frustrated they didn't go for it there, but they tack on the field goal, uh, and I cashed out my check. I'm like, okay, I got to get home. Let's just take out. I'll take off. I'll go, and I'll get this Facebook live show started when I get home, and we'll talk about a Patriots win. And I get home, and I log on, and I couldn't believe what I saw. I did not see it live, and I jinxed the New England Patriots. It's, it's, I caught hell for it, uh, because I didn't, I didn't see it. It was, it. I'm pretty much taking all the blame for it, uh, because I knew I shouldn't have left before the game was final, uh, but I did. And yes, uh, it was a, a soul crushing experience. Um, I was a little more worried about their Super Bowl chances the week after, uh, when they lost in Pittsburgh, but uh, then they kind of, they kind of you know, eased, uh, eased back into gear, but oh, man, that, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough for me to talk about as to, you know, even, you know, and in a weird game where Brandon Bolden looks like, like Adrian Peterson in peak form, you know, it's, just, it's, <laughs> the, it's
0: the weirdest, the weirdest stuff happens in Miami. It's just, the, it does. It's, it's inexplicable to me. Yeah. They always seem to have that trouble in Miami, no matter how bad the dolphins are each year. And, the Dolphins are pretty bad almost every year, but it's just something the Patriots cannot shake when they come to Miami. It's it's the oddest thing, but we'll take it. We'll take yeah. it. I mean, one day, hopefully it means something, but for now the Dolphins, this is their Super Bowl. <laughs> I remember me. I, I was just ready to get up. We were putting on um, – getting on my jacket. We were going to some thing with the kids, and I'm like, all right, another loss for the Dolphins, whatever, better draft pick. And then all of a sudden I just see mayhem on the field and – it was a great feeling. We lived it up for that week, and then the Dolphins <laughs> lost the next week, and the week after, I think it was too. And the rest is history. But yeah, you know, it's always, it's always great to beat the Patriots in Miami.
3: Yeah. Hey, don't don't worry. Only there, are only only like three or four more years of this Tom Brady stuff. And uh, yeah, three and, or four and, more and years. Yeah, it will be. You know, you guys will be. Uh, you know, by then, hopefully, Flores will have have the roster
0: in peak shape. That's we we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> All right, Brian. We appreciate you joining us here on FinSider Radio. Check out Brian Phillips at Pat's Pulpit, part of the SB Nation Network. Brian, take care.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys.
0: Appreciate thanks,
2: it. Brian, thanks, Brian.
0: All right, that was Brian Phillips, and just a quick reaction, guys, on on going through the coaching staff and what Brian had to say and and everything else before we get to the mailbag, which will be the duration of the rest of the show. We talked about Brian Flores and Chris Richard on our show weeks ago when they were trying to narrow it down or what seemed as the fans were trying to narrow it down. And we took a step back ourselves and we said, okay, we're going to go into that show. We're going to really take a good look at Brian Flores without any bias, without any favoritism, and really just pit him and Richard against each other. And all three of us came out of that show thinking, okay, this Brian Flores guy might be legit. And the more we hear about him, the more we see from him. No, he's not that passionate guy that Richard is. He doesn't have the charisma that Richard brings, per se. We don't know what he's like behind closed doors. Based on interviews, we think he's a little different behind closed doors. But I think the Dolphins, I don't want to say it because I've said it before. We've all said it before. But this one just feels right with the coaching staff he assembled. With the veterans, coaches that he assembled to help him. It just feels like the Dolphins are doing the right thing the right way for once. What are your thoughts, and Sutton?
2: Yeah, you gotta feel pretty excited about what's to come. And one thing I gotta just continue to kind of harp on, and uh you mentioned it that that podcast that we did where we weren't quite sure, you know, we started to list off the, the different candidates to be enemies, you know, the Chris Richards. We even mentioned Dennis Allen. I think we all kind of took a step back, like you said, and we read through what Brian Flores was, you know, where he came from, the scouting, you know, worked his way up the ladder. And I think we all kind of felt a little bit better about, you know, the potential of it. Many people just thought he's a Rooney Rule candidate. You know, maybe that was the the first thing the Dolphins rushed up there to do so they could go hire whoever it was that they coveted. But at the end of the day, this was Chris Greer's guy. you got to feel excited, like you said, because, you know, this it's, – it's not just a different – era here now in Miami. You know, we're kind of building upon that Patriots, what they build up there. We're trying to mimic that down here, but it's going to be exciting to see how it all plays out because Brian Flores, he brought in this coaching staff. It's one hell of a coaching staff. And I think we're all kind of excited about that. It's just an exciting day to be a Dolphins fan. But at the same time, I mean, this is what we are. We're we're fans of this team. Of course, we're going to feel this way, but like you said, it just feels different. I'm excited. I was happy with what Brian said about, All these guys, I mean, yes, they're division rivals, but he seemed pretty damn excited for what these guys were going to do here in Miami. Uh, So that gives me reason to believe. If not, I already did believe. So let's just see how free agency plays out. You know, at least we're not training for a Joe Flacco with a fourth-round pick. That's the way I feel. I'm excited to see this rebuild, quotations, you know, get rid of some of these older players, build this team the Brian Flores way, and see what we can do because at the end of the day, the Adam Gase way didn't work. A lot of other coaches did not work here. We owe it to Brian Flores to give this a chance to see this thing through.
4: I like the checks and balances that seem to be kind of ingrained in the way that they constructed the coaching staff. So, yes, you do have a little bit of nepotism, I think, on any level. You bring in guys that you know, but where Adam Gase steered wrong is that he didn't have a guy like Jim Caldwell there who can be a, a, a a sounding board for, in a lot of different ways, especially in the quarterback position. So I think just having him having that type of presence really makes us a nice, well-rounded staff. And I'm glad that we are able to kind of dispel this notion that quality assistant coaches do leave New England because they're, they're good and they're allowed to, not because Bill Belichick just decided they're not good enough and he would let them go. So let's kind of throw that out of our Dolphins' uh zeitgeist here and just forget about that because we do know uh, from an insider's perspective that we have some quality guys that can do some, some great things with our players.
0: We will see as Brian Flores continues to revamp the culture here in Miami and get things moving in the right direction. The one thing I like about him and it's the Patriots way. And that is that you need to get everyone in the organization moving in the same direction. And the only way to accomplish sustained success is to do that. And Brian Flores said from the janitor to the top of the building, you all need to be pulling in the same direction. Uh, Flores has held a few all-staff meetings already, has made himself known in the community already. It's going to be great to see him get to work and really get this thing moving in the right direction.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
0: Let's switch gears, and we're going to do a special episode, and we'll do this several times throughout the offseason. We're going to do a FinCider radio mailbag, and we posted this up on the site earlier today, and we asked for your questions. If we didn't get to your questions here on the show, I will be answering a bunch of them on the finsider.com later in the week, so please do check for that. But we're going to toss it around here around the table. How inside, and I will start with myself, and the question comes from New York Fins fan. He wants to know what exactly Chris Greer was responsible for the past three years with Adam Gase and Mike Tannebaum. and how much did he really contribute to that trio and how much is Ross involved in the head coach search and talent acquisition via free agency in the draft several questions within one. So I'm going to answer your question um, starting from the end and Ross is highly involved in the head coach search. He was very much more involved in the first two searches that ended up with Joe Philbin and Adam Gase. In fact, Ross overruled all of his advisors. Well, I don't want to say all of his advisories, but some of his advisors because Joe Philbin, by all reports, was not the first choice. Jeff Ireland preferred Mike McCoy. Ross loved Philbin because supposedly he came the most organized someone ever came to an interview, according to close confident Carl Peterson, who Ross was listening to at the time. Ross gave the nod to Joe Philbin. The rest is history. It also was not a consensus with Adam Gase. Ross had to convince others in the room that Adam Gase was the guy to lead the Dolphins into the future. We've seen how that works. This coaching search, they pared it down a little bit. There was only a few people in the room. Ross was in the room. Greer was in the room. Matt Higgins. One of Ross's business advisors was in the room. Tom Garfinkel, of course, CEO of the Miami Dolphins. And Brandon Shore was in the room. That's all we know who were there. We don't know if it was consensus, but we do have a good idea that it was pretty close to a consensus. If it wasn't, the thing is this. Chris Greer, this is his pick. This is Chris Greer's hire in Brian Flores. This is Chris Greer matching up someone who resembles him and his identity and how to build a team. So we can find solace in that, that the general manager, who is a direct report from the head coach, he gets his guy. Moving on, free agency in the draft, I don't think Ross is much involved at all. He may throw his uh, suggestions or recommendations here or there, but he does not force his front office to do anything there. Now, as far as Chris Greer goes as to what he was responsible for, We don't know for sure. We'll never know for sure unless he comes out and says it, and even then we don't know for sure. But I do know that Xavier Howard, he slammed the table for, from what I understand. So when people talk about how he doesn't want to resign Xavier, I I do think that's kind of um, buyer beware there in terms of believing those reports. I do think the Dolphins will work to extend Xavier because Chris Greer was very high on him. Kenyon Drake, I think, was Adam Gase's guy. Chris Greer, we believe, picked um, Minka Fitzpatrick over guys like Derwin James and others. He picked uh, Mike Gizicchi over Andrews and Goddard. We do think that Chris Greer picked Charles Harris. So the results are mixed, as with any GM out there. We never know for sure who did what. And then uh, how much was Chris Greer responsible for with Adam Gase and Mike Tannenbaum? As it's been widely reported by myself and others, Adam Gase, after his first year, Got a power trip to his head and and asked for more power behind the scenes and got it. Mike Tannenbaum did not keep him in check. And Chris Greer was kind of overshadowed by these two because it was basically Tannenbaum at the top. Then Adam Gates, but really it was roles reversed. It was just a dysfunctional relationship there in Miami. Hope I answered all parts of your questions as best as I could. I'm going to throw the next one now to Sutton. And Sutton... You kind of already touched on this, but are you surprised the evil empire? This is from Miami max, the evil empire, let him escape and take a number of staff with him with hardly a peep out of them. They battled for Josh last year and he was not in the same division. Your thoughts.
4: Yeah, I just don't think there's much to this. I really just think that Brian Flores developed some camaraderie with these guys and why wouldn't they? They're on the the front lines doing the installs and doing all the position coaching and, uh, I, I believe um, Josh Boyer was the pass game coordinator for them. So they're doing some higher-level scheming and planning here, guys. So that they clearly had a good working relationship, one good enough to transplant in Miami. These guys get promotions from, from what I could tell. I, I don't know if it was a, a lateral move financially or if uh, maybe it was a promotion in the sense of uh, – getting getting some more money and some more job security um so it's kind of hard to tell on that front but I, I i really do think that we got some good assistant coaches and we're allowed to enjoy that we don't need to second guess everything
0: all right next one is for house from Drifton scotty what are we to make of this dolphins are the best bets to land Le'Veon bell and or antonio brown talk
2: Uh, I think it's completely ridiculous. I mean, whether or not you believe this team's tanking, I certainly don't think they're going to take on a huge contract. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's going to be making quarterback money. And Antonio Brown, I mean, he's a great wide receiver. And, I mean, if Miami somehow pulled off that trade, I might feel a little bit better about that than going after a running back, but I think they're both ridiculous. I don't think either is going to play out. You know, it's no different than Nick Foles' rumors. I would be completely shocked if the Dolphins went out there and, you know, they spent $15, $16 million on a running back or $18, 19 on a wide receiver. I just don't see it, especially when this team, by all accounts, is going to rebuild. You saw what Chad O'Shea did up there in New England. I mean, they didn't have any Antonio Brown. They went out there and got Josh Gordon who, you know, what, he had one good season and everyone keeps harping on that. And what did he do? I mean he had a decent year but didn't do much. It, it, it's something to to keep an eye on. It's it's something to see the way this is gonna play out. But I have no I I really don't see any situation in which Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell will be on the Dolphins in 2019.
0: Alright. Next question I'm going to take about Ryan Tannehill, then I'm gonna throw it back to House about Kyler Murray. But first I'll answer from AK Finn fan. Any chance Ryan Tannehill stays with the Dolphins if Ryan Tannehill is with the Dolphins opening day 2019, I'm going to do something. Shoot me on Twitter, uh, AKFinFan, at Kanata NFL. Let me know what the bet's going to be. We'll make it happen. You tell me what I have to do. I'll buy you beer. I'll buy you whatever. Ship you some beer. Ship you whatever you want. Uh, if Ryan Tannehill is on the opening day roster in 2019, I say there's no chance in hell. All right, next one for you, Houch, from Jersey, Finnfan. What will it take to truly have a chance to draft Kyler Murray? Do we need to move up, stay put? Jersey fan believes he will light it up at the combine, and that will push him out of the Dolphins' range.
2: Yeah, this feels a lot like the Baker Mayfield hype. I mean, a lot of us early on kind of saw the potential in Baker Mayfield. You know, we loved him, thought he was QB1, and then he went on and got drafted number one overall. I kind of see that playing out here with Kyler Murray, you know, we know what Cliff Kingsbury said about about him when he was with uh he was at college, you know, he said he would draft Kyler Murray number one overall. I don't know if that'll happen. But you got the Giants up there, you got Jacksonville, you got Denver. I mean, you got these teams. I, I see New Orleans, you know. They have a small quarterback in Drew Brees. They try to run some of this, you know, read option stuff. Why won't they try to get move up there and get Kyler Murray? Sure they gave up a lot to to draft Davenport last year, but I, I see them potentially moving up there. For me, I think the Dolphins have to move up. I think if he's your guy, which Personally, I mean, you you guys know how I feel about him. This is the quarterback that I would like to see, you know, be on the Miami Dolphins. I know 2020 has a lot uh, nicer, maybe more prospects to choose from, but I think Kyler Murray, you know, if you can look past that size, which a lot of people might not be able to, you can have a very, very special player. I'm not too concerned about him flopping. I'm not too concerned about him going to the, to MLB. I'm not worried about his size. I think he can make all the throws what you could build an offense around with a Kyler Murray. I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps just to think about. If I'm the Miami Dolphins, I do trade up for Kyler Murray. I know that might be unpopular, but but he's my guy. I would pretty much move all in for him, and that's the way I feel. I think the Dolphins have to move up if they want Kyler Murray.
0: All right. We all love Kyler Murray. We will talk about him at a later episode. We have quite a few more questions in the Finn Sider Radio mailbag. We're not going to get all of them, so please do check the finsider.com later in the week. I will answer all the questions that came in for this episode. We're going to do the last one for you, Sutton. Considering that the draft is predicated on what happens in free agency, what position do you think the team will make their number one target to fill in free agency? Who might they go after for that position? This is from 39 is number one.
4: Dang, that's a good question because – even saw the the tail end of Tannenbaum's tenure with us even he was a little bit more frugal in free agency so i'm kind of expecting that similar type of a frugal approach maybe the types of signings like William Hayes that uh, we we get guys on a contract that they can outperform um i don't know how veteran heavy we're going to be in free agency though and typically you don't see too many stud young guys there so you might be looking at possibly getting a guard to come in and bring some competition to Jesse Davis and let them battle it out and if Jesse Davis loses maybe he can be he could play either guard position or even I, I thought he was pretty decent at right tackle so I want maybe give him a chance there so maybe he could become kind of a utility offensive lineman for us. I don't have a name per se but I think that would be the position that we go for it would be offensive line maybe even D tackle to to spell Godshaw and Vincent Taylor. We're going to have to be able to keep that defensive line fresh so I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a couple of bodies along the trenches.
0: All right, so we have a lot of thoughts on the Dolphins' offseason as we move forward here, and we have a lot of time to kill in the offseason. Free agency coming up at first is NFL Scouting Combine, and then, of course, the NFL Draft, and then more dead time before training camp comes up. The Dolphins have a lot of work to do, coaching staff coming in and really getting their feet wet and starting to evaluate film and players and trying to figure out the best course of action for this franchise moving forward. We, of course, will have all the latest news and updates for you here on FinSider Radio and on Twitter. Any last thoughts, House and Sutton, as we wrap up the show?
4: No, just uh, say a prayer for me. I have three kids having birthday parties in the next couple of weeks, so there's gonna be a lot of wear and tear in the Sutton house.
0: Sounds like a personal issue to me, sign.
2: Yeah, a lot of wear and tear. I don't know what to think of that. I'm the <laughs> I'm going to say a prayer for you. (laughs) Don't get there. (laughs) I'm going to say a prayer for you. (laughs) Uh, Kanata, congratulations on the new job. Um, Thank you. I just want to say, fins up. Do whatever the hell it takes to get Kyler Murray.
0: All right. Kyler Murray, we all love him. We don't know where he will land. I do think, me personally, I think his stock is going to rise, and I think he will be a top five pick when it's all said and done. Will the Dolphins want to trade up to grab their quarterback a year early or will they sit back and take the best available player on the board? Lots of time to discuss, lots of time to digest as we move forward, but that's going to do it for us here this week on FinCider Radio. Thank you for listening. For Joshua Houts and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Canada. We will talk to you next time.